listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Damian Parson and Blake Murphy. All about your Arizona Cardinals. All right, and welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast, coming to you after week one of the preseason. This is the 2022 Arizona Cardinals we'll be talking about. Uh, I'm your co-host today, Blake Murphy. You can find me on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. Joined by my co-host again, this is going to be at DP underscore NFL of Revenge of the Birds and the Draft Network and the Talent Code Pod. Damien, we've gotten a game done and not a lot of starters. Uh, we'll be able to talk about still quite a bit of Cardinals news this week. But how are you doing as we kick off our kind of first game to review for the Arizona Cardinals? Ah, oh, man, I'm doing good. It was a, a fun weekend. We get we had a full slate of preseason games from Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So we had a lot of football um, with the Cardinals and all the other teams in the NFL partaking in preseason. So it felt like football was back, Blake. It felt good. It felt really good. It's the first time in a couple of years we've had preseason games. During the 2020 and 2021 year, we saw that the NFL didn't seem to miss a beat. Now, obviously, there's probably a little bit of uh, development issues that have popped up, I would say. There's players <laughs> such as Isaiah Simmons or Zayvon Collins who probably wish that they had gotten a preseason to play in. Uh, but as far as the classic veterans, uh, we've seen how a lot of them have been able to just go out and play football for the most part, even without having a preseason to go. That's something that the Cardinals are banking on this year. We saw guys like Kyler, Hopkins, A.J., Rondale, uh, Hollywood Brown, Pretty much the entire offensive line, including guys like DJ Humphreys, Rodney Hudson, did not play on offense. And your stars, such as J.J. Watt, Buda Baker, uh, Jalen Thompson, did not go on defense. Isaiah Simmons in there. We do have a couple of players who did go. Some showed some very encouraging signs. Some did not. Uh, but we can talk about the game first because uh, even though preseason, the score doesn't matter what you see from guys is, obviously, Trace McSorley got the start, and I thought that he played very well. Arizona got after it as far as the pass rush went. Uh, they ended up actually knocking Brandon Allen out of the game with a concussion. And you saw multiple touchdowns for uh, the likes of uh, Jonathan Ward. Uh, you got to see Keontae Ingram average about 3.9 yards a carry. And leading your team in receiving, Andy Isabella with 4 for 57 for the most part. Overall, the Cardinals dominated the Bengals' third and fourth team themselves on the way to a 36-23 victory that saw Kyler Murray go and call some plays during the fourth quarter. Uh, we can talk about some of that, but first of all, what were some of the biggest impressions that you had as takeaways, Damian, since it was very much a, I think you can say at least, impressive showing by the Cardinals' depth against a Bengals team that, to be honest, is probably not having the same depth as Arizona, but as we saw from a year ago, that talent that they had starting took that team to the Super Bowl it's really something I think that I think is impressive for these guys to at least go out there and play for their pride, even if the win, as they say, doesn't necessarily count. No, I mean, one of the you know the main takeaways for me was Greg Dortch, uh, which we will talk about, you know, again later on. But he was impressive. Um, you know, he's had a really great, really strong camp these past couple of weeks in training camp. And, you know, he made impacts not only in the passing game, but also in the return game, he had a 55-yard return, Blake, and, you know, being able to flip the field and flip possession and put the offense 
across the opposing 50 yard line, which makes the 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 goal the from the uh, from the first down to to the touchdown range a lot shorter rather than trying to drive the entire field. So he helped the offense there, like you talked about with Trace. Uh, he he looked good. Um, you know, just being able to run the offense, another dual threat. You know, mobile quarterback and. You know, he, he he performed well. He ran the ball well when he needed to, was decisive there, got the ball out of his hands, uh, you know, 13 of 22 for 163 in the touchdown. And he just looked comfortable. Uh, and that's really what you look for. Some things that, you know, as a talent evaluator, you look for when you're watching preseason games is who's comfortable, who looks like they're thinking and and, and contemplating. And, and, you know, they're because the main thing that when it comes on the football, Blake, is it's a reactionary sport, right? And, and, the coach's job, you know, is to build a game plan that his guys don't have to think as much. The opposing coach's job is to counter that and make them think as much as possible and not react. So seeing him, you know, be able to read the defense well in terms of Trace McSorley and, and, and be decisive, be quick with his decisions, and just look comfortable. He, he looks like he, he was supposed to be out there. It looks like he was prepared to be out there. Absolutely. Yeah. When it comes to what you're looking for in a backup quarterback, and this is something I think that we saw with Colt McCoy last year was that ability to use the legs and be able to show essentially mastery of the offense in which, you know, there's going to be areas of keeping the offense on schedule, whereas you're keeping them. There is a great play McSorley had just that I liked where the pocket was starting to collapse. Timing was breaking down. There's a lot of backup quarterbacks who you will see or even some starters who just hold on to the football. McSorley at least actually was able to move forward, got back to the line of scrimmage, turned what would have been like a third and 12, third and 11 into a manageable third and six. Uh, it comes up as a sack on the stat sheet, but there's just little things like that. Uh, obviously then making some of the off schedule plays and throws. Uh, I think that the biggest takeaway from each of those also that you could say was the Cardinals are in a position where they have to find a pass rush outside of Chandler Jones. And Chandler's a quality pass rusher. The Cardinals have been attempting with draft picks, with having guys on the roster, and with this schematic that you see from Vance Joseph to kind of throw a lot of quantity at the position. So you're hoping that some guys will stand out. Uh, Victor Dumakeji, at least, has been one of those guys, at least, who throughout camp and through other places feels like he at least belongs in the NFL. I don't know if that's going to turn into necessarily a weekly starting job, but as far as even finding a guy who could be a rotational pass rusher. He had two sacks, showed some good bend off the edge. Um, believe he forced a fumble as well. Uh, there was, I think, at least encouragement. Um, Colt McCoy's had a nice long career, and while they don't have the same draft capital to justify it, if you look at the back half of Colt McCoy's career and look at Trey Sorley, there may be at least a long-term type of option for him. He seems like he does fit very well in this Arizona offense. Uh, I do want to at least say that the... Um, it wasn't like it was all positives, I think, for the Cardinals. Um, we can talk a little bit about Dorch and some of the ability there, but I want to try to focus on the other two headliners who most fans, to be honest, may have been tuning in for. There was three guys as far as that goes, which would be uh, right guard Will Hernandez. He got the start. You had cornerback uh, Marco Wilson got a start. And Isaiah, uh, I should say, excuse me, uh, Isaiah Simmons sat on the bench, uh, meaning he's probably got to the stage in his career where he's Either they're hiding his role or he's kind of achieved a comfort level in the defense. So it was inside linebacker Zaven Collins who at least was there. And overall, Hernandez at least looked like a new man coming out of 
the Giants. He at least had one of the best grades in pass protection and run defense, especially in one play where it looked like he was blocking two guys down the field. That was kind of who he was in college. He was a mauler. He was a guy that you wanted to at least see that physicality. It got to a point where I wanted the Cardinals to pull him off the field because I didn't feel like he had anything more to prove. On the other hand, uh, Marco Wilson and Zayvon Collins, there were some ups and downs that both of them had, and it felt like I think a lot of Cardinals fans were left wanting with those two, which maybe is cause for concern to some given that the Cardinals are going to be counting on both of those guys a lot this year, as in most likely starting roles on the outside and at that inside linebacker position. Is that something that you're a bit concerned about that we're still needing some, or is it just important to get reps at this point for guys who are, to be honest, in their second year of their NFL career? Oh, the reps are absolutely necessary, right? These are second-year players who are trying to continue. They're continually trying to figure out the speed and abilities of the NFL. Like, you're dealing with the pro, not just pro players, but pro coaches who are going to put the young defenders in compromising situations. And on the, I believe it was like a 25 or what the, the long pass he gave up, um, you know, talking about Marco Wilson uh, against, I believe it was Trent Taylor. It was end zone, which has been my, my issue with Vance this entire time going back and watching the tape, even from last year, Blake, he continues to run these guys in zone. What a lot of people don't understand about zone coverage is it, it forces pre-snap communication and a lot of it and when when the, and the way that offenses are structured now with all the motions and coming out with three by one that's motion over the to two by two sets let's you know come in stacked and bunch sets and force guys to be uncomfortable because now the assignments aren't as are as solidified, right? When it's man to man, or when it's hey, I got one guy on my side and I'm playing cover three. Hey, I know I got deep. I got I have deep thirds, and and I know that this is one. This is one threat of my area, and I just gotta hit read my landmarks and hit my uh, hit my zone, and I'll be fine, you know. But when it's okay, we're in, we're in zone and they have three to my side. Now it's a little different. I got to talk to the safety. I got to talk to that linebacker underneath. You know, I got to talk to whoever's rolling over to, hey, I got I got deep thirds. Like, you know, who's coming inside? Who's handling underneath? And it just creates a lot of confusion. And it may sound it may sound crazy, but man coverage is a lot man coverage is more simple, but Marco is more suited for man. So, putting him in off coverage, trying to read from depth and process information, I'm talking switch releases, realize, okay, these guys switched at the, at, at the snap, who's, who's, who's threatening me immediately? And then at the same time with zone, you have to trust your teammates. I got to trust that this outside linebacker is going to drop in the curl of flats just in case he sees that quick, that quick out. If he doesn't, do I bite on that? Or do I stay to stay to my cover three? And the moment you bite on it, then that that other receiver then breaks up field, which is, if I remember correctly, is similar to what happened with Marco. So it's just for me, it's like with him. You know, he was targeted two times. He gave up two catches for 51. I think the longest was like 25 on that one play. But it's like, man, you know, the zone coverage just doesn't make things easy for this young man who's learning the league himself who's trying to develop, put him in, put him in man and allow him to play to his physical profile. 
we've seen that's been typical of this Cardinals defense, where in man coverage they've been some of the best, and whenever they've played zone, we've seen more turnovers happen as a result, but it's come almost at a cost of um, needing to have good guys who are back there able to put guys in position. I think nowhere that was that more evident than having a veteran last year in um, Robert Alford, who is essentially in a lot of ways was kind of cornerback one, where maybe he wasn't necessarily on the number one wide receiver every single week, but he was able to kind of either have Brian Murphy be able to man the slot and he would take on kind of that corner, the wide receiver two, depending on the switch. But what was most important about that was it essentially allowed Marco to line up and just play man because, hey, if you're just going to line up and play man using that, you know, 40 inch vertical, that 4-3 speed and that six foot, uh, one six foot two height, that makes it a lot easier if he can just have that similar type of assignment. But and as, as we've seen, if you play man constantly in the NFL, then it turns into a spot where NFL teams are able to identify that quickly. They'll force you into zone coverages, at least, by mixing it up by, you know, we've talked about how, um, before on this pod, how even in the air raid offense, uh, part of what mesh concepts and other things have done, or having these three-by-one sets, is that it kills man coverage because it just forces two guys into essentially the same area. You're trying to trail your man suddenly, and things get separated, and one of those guys with you know, 4-4 speed... <laughs> and a linebacker having to figure out their coverage. Guys just are able to get open, and that's one of the reasons why zone coverage has to be on point and has to be locked down, and that's the mental aspect of the game. Um, when I worked with the Rattlers uh, football team in arena as a guy who was just trying to take scouting notes, learning the, the business and the trade, found out that you know one of our guys that we had was kind of the, I guess, the quintessential pro. He was the guy who knew every beat of the defense back and forth. The biggest thing was just making sure he'd be healthy um, with how old he was. There's another player who at least was perhaps the best man coverage guy on the team. They dropped him in zone. He just didn't know what was happening or what he was doing. So what they would have to do was they would have to then tailor a lot of their defensive looks in order to make sure that they could run man half the time during the game. Even though when you talk about arena football, essentially the entire game is kind of man in some ways because it's one receiver, one kind of cornerback, and then there's one safety in the middle of the field who kind of lines up. So when you're in that type of position, sometimes you have to play zone because you don't know when someone's going to run over from one side of the field to the other and you can't keep up with them as man. you got to hand off that responsibility. And that was one of the biggest things, at least, of realizing when that goes to the NFL and the pro level, you have to be able to be on point with your responsibilities. And coaches are going to do the best that they can to tailor stuff to the players. And I think that was a huge takeaway that I think I felt like was, you know, a lot of times we can say that coaches don't put a guy in position to succeed. But other times it is on that player to do everything that they can. And I think that's one of the things that we saw with um, not just Marco, but Zayvon Collins. Great teaching technique uh, as far as how he wasn't really getting his hands into the player that was there. was more trying to leverage, use his body. It felt like almost that maybe if there wasn't an injury that was the case, it was almost like he maybe got sucked up a little bit too close into the action. uh, Just needed to be able to get into a right spot instead of just kind of being ready to disengage or to kind of what they do is kind of shed where you get in there, you're on the block, and then you just get rid of the guy's hands as fast as you can and then go toward the ball. He didn't really have that. Now, he did also say post-game that the ball didn't really come his way, which I think is a 
great point, you know. Sometimes the ball, at least for that, guys block well up front, and you're not necessarily having to shed or make that tackle. Uh, but I think it does show, at least if we get to the season and we still see some of these struggles for Arizona, uh, it'll be interesting because, you know, looking at Arizona's depth right now, you've got Nick Vigil at linebacker. There's a couple other linebackers that they've trusted before as far as Ezekiel Turner and Joe Walker. But right now this team is probably one Byron Murphy injury away from what could be potentially the worst secondary in the NFL. And, and I don't say that lightly. That's one of the areas that we didn't really get assuaded by from this preseason game of hoping and seeing that progress from Marco Wilson, especially after he was a starter for the entirety of 2021. No, 100%. And it's it's a it's it's one that I've criticized Kime on. Like this this to me back-to-back off seasons, Blake, like you you are relying on veterans. You're relying on Robert Alford. You are relying on Malcolm Butler, who retired, then unretired to go back to the Patriots for the 2022 season, right? He took the whole year off for personal reasons, and then he came back. Then you, you, you were relying on a cheap option, which was Jeff Gladney, who's coming off the court case. And, you know, you know rest in peace to the young man, um, you know, well, I was excited to see him because he was somebody I liked watching in college. So I was excited to see him. And to me, I feel like he would have been that cornerback one um, if once he got this, de- once he got the defensive scheme, um, you know, down packed and and was confident, you know, in in his knowledge of the inner workings of the defense and communication and so forth and so on. So I definitely feel like Kime, and which goes back to my 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 criticism of him last draft. While Zayvon Collins was a fun player in college, you had Greg Newsom Jr. and some other cornerbacks that were available that you bypassed. And you bypassed for a guy who was extremely raw and has to learn how to process and read def- you know, blocking schemes and everything else, use his hands and his length. And, you know, it's one thing to be athletic in college, but the NFL is the best of the best. So it's like at the end of the day, when you see the, the, the receivers that you have to see six times, a, I mean, you know, six times a year, like you got DK twice, you got Tyler Lockett twice, you have Cooper Cup and Van Jefferson and, and now Allen Robinson over in, in LA, right? And then you got Debo and Ayuk and they have Danny Gray and you have to try and figure out a way to stop George Kittle and slow him down. Now, you know, you just got to hope that your defense can confuse the young quarterback and Trey Lance to give yourself a chance defensively if the front set, and that's my, I think if the front set doesn't get there, and that's why it's like, okay, what's the plan? You know, like, you got to figure out the, the secondary, even with the guys that are healthy, and if they stay healthy, I still don't feel comfortable going into the season, deep into the season with this group of cornerbacks. I didn't feel comfortable with them last year, and I certainly don't now. Yeah, and there's an interesting idea I remember that one of our site writers, um, Walter Mitchell, had talked about where he looked at Isaiah Simmons of the profile, of the 6'4", the athleticism that he had. He even said that maybe this is a guy that you should start looking at as specifically a cornerback. And I felt like, on one hand, we've seen the Cardinals line up Simmons at the slot this year, which I think is a great idea because you can take a look at if someone who's a larger slot receiver like an A.J. Brown you're playing – DK Metcalf moves into the slot. If you've got a George Kittle that's split there, you've got a person who can essentially be an eraser for them. 
Um, we've also seen how uh, the star linebacker role, or at least the star role in the defense, is similar to what Jalen Ramsey was playing when it was with the uh, Los Angeles Rams. They were able to kind of put him and be an eraser on some guys and then be able to play a lot of zone coverage, otherwise knowing that Aaron Donald and Von Miller and that pass rush down in the playoffs was going to be able to deliver. Um, I don't think you can put Simmons there and essentially say that's the best use of his skill set because you're missing out on the blitzing, you're missing out on a lot of the other places, you're missing out on a guy who can be a lot of cases like a knife through butter and run support. Uh, his change of direction is not going to be the same as far as some of the elite linebackers, but he's such a good straight line athlete that as far as keeping him off the ball and putting him in a spot where he can cover or go after the quarterback or ball carrier, I don't think that you're going to be wanting to put him into this full-time nickel corner role, but I do think that that is at least something that if you take a look at the flexibility that he, Abuda Baker, Jalen Thompson could have, you look at how Byron Murphy at least seems to be kind of, I would say, in a cornerback too. I think any type of team can look at him. Kind of similar to Christian Kirk. If he's your number one wide receiver, you're like the Jacksonville Jaguars have right now. You're probably going to be looking for an actual alpha. The Cardinals were in the same position coming into 2020 um, after having Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald. But as far as your second receiver goes, like he will be an explosive playmaker for you. And I think that's how Byron Murphy we saw last year. He had, I believe it was, at least five or six interceptions to start the season when they did have a healthy Robert Alford. Um, unfortunately, that did cave over time, and a lot of it was just due to the pass rush. And I think a lot of teams were looking at Arizona in their coverage, I should say at least more of the zone, and were able to dissect it. Guys just weren't able to keep as disciplined in their zone. Uh, I think that's one of the things we'll talk about when we get to the end of the podcast, at least, is probably how much Arizona should give up. Well, I mean, you know, we can probably even talk about it now, actually, if we think about it, and then just skip ahead to there, because <laughs> I think it's that important that we've gotten to see is, outside of Byron Murphy, there's not really any corner that gives you confidence. So Josh Jackson had a couple nice pass breakups. He's obviously a reclamation project, and they've liked what Antonio Hamilton has done, but I think that you would want those guys to be, you know, cornerback three, cornerback four would probably be the best case scenario. So you're still missing a cornerback one ultimately. So I think the question then is, if the Cardinals are looking at the free agent market for guys, you're talking about these veterans, kind of similar to the Malcolm Butler deal last year. We've also got teams looking to make cutdowns. I think the question is not necessarily if the Cardinals should trade for a corner, but I think you can take a look at the way that the contract of Jeff Gladney was structured. His deal went for two years, and the Cardinals next year have Byron Murphy as a free agent. If you sign a guy to a one-year deal, he's going to be on the market. That's something that's not a guarantee. I think what the Cardinals want is to be able to have a couple years at least of control, so that way you're not going in with just Marco Wilson as your only cornerback under contract. Because then you're having to draft two guys, sign a guy. like That That was what the position they were in for tight end this year. And what did we mm -hmm. see them do? They had to sign Zach Ertz to a $30 million deal. They brought back Max Williams. But with his injury situation, they spent a second-round pick on Trey McBride. And while I at least like the pick of giving Kyler kind of a long-term tight end weapon and not necessarily having to, you know, run out Max Williams and hope that he stays healthy to have any type of production in the tight end game. It did seem like a lot of that was because you weren't really able to find another tight end one or tight end two, and you kind of were put into a little bit of an overpay perhaps for both guys considering how much Cliff runs four wide receiver sets. 
So with that being said, what is it that the Cardinals should be looking to give up for a corner, assuming that there's one that's out there and available? Um, I mean, and that's that's the that's the really difficult thing, right? Like corners, for one, corners are are not at, they're at a premium and they're not a super deep position in terms of availability, right? Besides free agency, so because um, if you go to, for example, you go to any you know high school camps, you know you're gonna see a really long wide receiver line, Blake. You're gonna see a much shorter cornerback line, you know, and, and that's that's just the nature of the beast in itself. And for me, I, I look at the the free agent list, and you got guys like Trey Waynes, Joe Hayden, uh, Kevin King, who's a tall, athletic corner, um, was teammates with Josh uh, Jackson over in Green Bay, um, Xavier Rhodes, you know, AJ Boye, guys like that. For me, it's two names. And I think I would go with, um, you know, Joe Hayden being a elder statesman. He's 33, but he still can play. He can, he plays kind of. He can play press man. He can play some zone, and he's a he's a high level communicator and a great locker room guy as well. A leader of sorts, also coming from Pittsburgh after spending time on some some just tumultuous teams over in in Cleveland, you know, early in his career. And then you think about the guy that was just cut today. Lonnie Johnson, he's 25. The, the the Chiefs cut him. Not really sure what the designation was or the reason was, but he's still a, a taller, longer corner that has some talent. And, and is he a reclamation project as well? Yeah. But it's like, okay, if we can you, – you bring in as, as much talent as possible, and it, and it won't cost a ton. Uh, even if it is, you can give him a, essentially a two-year deal where you can get yourself out after one if you want. But, it's again, it's the, to fix this cornerback room, Blake – and like you talked about so eloquently, Byron Murphy's gonna be a free agent after the season. Like that's that was that's also part of my frustration with with how Kime has handled this position. Because at the end of the day, when you have essentially your best corner is going to be, which is again a corner a CB two even CB three on some really good defenses and secondaries, your essential CB one is going to be a free agent. After the season, he's much better as a nickel than he is as an outside boundary corner anyway. So the draft is going to be, to me, Kahn's going to have to suck it up and, and attack the draft. But I'll absolutely go after Joe Hayden um, just because he still has ability. And like I said, the leadership, the knowledge that he can bestow on these young corners. Like, you know, I believe he was a Florida Gator himself and his ability to mentor a Marco a Marco Wilson, right? His, his ability to help them. I would go and look at Xavier Rhodes, especially who, when you want to play as, uh, the way that Vance likes to play off coverage as well. I'll go get an Xavier Rhodes, right? Because he can then match up with some of the bigger receivers in, in the in the not just the division but the conference and be physical in press coverage and disrupt timing and things of that nature also. So those are some of the names that I think that they should go after. Um, like I said, Joe Hayden, Xavier Rose, and then look at uh, Lonnie Johnson. Yeah, there's uh, there's no doubt in my mind that Joe Hayden would be an improvement 
ahead of what we've seen from the Cardinals right now. I think that you would look at Robert Alford as well, knowing that he knows the defense. Maybe it's just about the price. Some of it may be, there's been whispers about, you know, whether he's wanted to come back to football or not. I, I do think that based on his Twitter account, what he's tweeted out and has said, I don't doubt that for the most part. I think it's more about that he's looking at the last couple of years and maybe this would be the last year as far as where he's concerned. So maybe it's a sign him after everything's done with training camp. He doesn't have to participate in camp or the drills or the workouts. Just have his body ready to go for week one. That would be one of the things that I could see being possible. Uh, but like you said, this is one of those areas that I feel could have been addressed earlier by the Cardinals. And I think that they were definitely caught off guard by the untimely passing of Jeff Gladney because we all were. But even before then, it did seem like it was something that the Cardinals probably should have anticipated that there was a need for another corner. And we've seen some time time signs before where the Cardinals have been able to um, not just make a necessarily late signing, but we've also even seen them be able to um, make a deal with some uh, teams. So the biggest name that comes to mind, at least for the most part, has been uh, Marcus Peter, or no, sorry, not Marcus Peters, uh, Marcus Cooper in the past. So Marcus Cooper being a player who uh, the Cardinals traded a seventh round pick for before cuts came in. And he came in, started for an entire year opposite Patrick Peterson, ended up earning himself a really nice deal the year after. Now, the difference, of course, being is that it's kind of like how we call like the Fitzgerald syndrome, where you really didn't need to find a cornerback to as far as for it wasn't difficult because you had Patrick Peterson there. You were always able to have um, at least decent coverage for him. Kind of the same went with pass rusher, where with Chandler Jones being there. And one thing that was a stat that I ended up finding this week that was a little bit, I guess, interesting was if you look at next year, and let's say that Rodney Hudson, you know, this is last year he chooses to retire next year. Cardinals will probably have an opening at left guard because I don't think Justin Pugh will be back, at least not for the same amount of money. So then what you're going to be looking at is if the Cardinals do end up having to spend a pick on a long-term center for Kyler Murray, if they're not going with a veteran, or with J.J. Watt leaving, if they have to go out and get a pass rusher, that's an entire 10-year time period of being the general manager that Steve Kime would have been the GM and would have not have drafted a cornerback in the first round. Now, obviously, Byron Murphy being selected at 33 kind of is a little bit of a caveat since first overall pick is a little different. But the fact that he hasn't really invested into the corner position, into the pass rushing position, uh, not only is that, I think, at least showing that Chandler Jones trade and the Patrick Peterson signing were a big deal, it does in a lot of cases, I think, show that when you don't have to make some of those different moves because you have that alpha, it makes the number two position a lot easier. But like how it is with quarterbacks, as soon as that guy is gone, it's not easy and that's something that I think we've seen at least where the Cardinals were at least decent for the first half without Patrick Peterson on the team in the 2021 year but things pretty much fell apart down the stretch and I think that there's definitely room to be looking at for a guy who's making a trade for someone who's under contract for another year or two who may be a bit higher I think there's a good chance that if the Cardinals are going to be drafting a cornerback sometime next year in round one or round two with the way this team has been built of a win-now team, isn't there an argument that they could be trading, you know, potentially a one, a two, or a three to get that guy in a year early and be able to win games now versus kind of just, you know, leaving it up to, you know, whatever in the wind happens, happens, and then try to start over with a rookie next year? Yeah, I mean, and that's kind of, you know, that's the tough part, right? Like trying to find 
a corner, a young corner that's really talented that is that a team is willing to trade, right? So it's like for me, the the way I look at it is and I and I remember writing this piece about a month ago that Steve Kahn has been trying the to cheat the grind. Mm. And, you know, for me I feel like it's time to stop cheating it. You paid Kyler Murray. It's time to, to invest because when you pay a quarterback, essentially, now this is this is this is why, you know, paying quarterbacks is so is so much of a risk. When you pay quarterbacks, top, top dollar, it typically shrinks the money. You know, it shrinks the money that you can sp- allocate elsewhere on proven veterans, right? Yeah. So what what does that mean? That means that you're that your scouting department and your GM who essentially drafts your players have to be on their A game year after year. Right? Every year we we how many times have we heard about heard about in Green Bay? Draft Aaron Rodgers as a receiver. Why do they want you to draft Aaron Rodgers as a receiver? Cuz you can't pay for one in free agency cuz you don't have the money, right? So it's cuz Aaron Rodgers is taking all of the cap space for the you know and that's just the case of right like he got 50 million this year and what did that what did that cost i every time i th- I think back to him signing that four-year 200 million dollar contract which is essentially 50 million per year blake i think back to the to the uh thanos and in, in the avengers where <laughs> you know he's like you know basically i won but what did it cost you it's yeah. like everything like yeah. you know <laughs> and for him it's like aaron Rodgers is like yeah i got paid you know so what did it cost you aaron Devonte Adams. What is that essentially? Everything. Okay, thanks. Uh, so it's like with, with Kyler, you, Kyler still has his weapons, right? Um, so for me, it's like now it's time to really allocate those those. I, I feel like this team needs to go full Carolina Panthers from two drafts ago <laughs> and go defense like the first couple rounds. I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm talking corner. Like, you may need to look at another. I would more so look at veteran linebackers to bring in just in case Zayvon Collins doesn't develop and doesn't work out. But definitely the secondary. I'm, I'm trying to get a cornerback in the first round. Like like I said, go get these veterans now on some cheap deals for one or two years. And your, your top priority entering this draft cycle. And I'm going to be honest with you, of course, working for TDM, the draft network, for anyone that doesn't know, we do draft 365 days a year. Um, there's a lot of talent late in this in this cornerback class, so don't pass on it again, man. Just let's let's go ahead and get these veterans in. Go call up Joe Hayden, um, Xavier Rose or someone. Go maybe both. Be honest with you, like <laughs> I will go get both of them. If, you know you got the money from paying DJ Humphreys and and that opened up that allocated some money uh, and it made it a little bit more free flowing right now. Go get. I would go get both of those guys, honestly. Yeah, it does feel very much, at least to me, that you're probably looking at the Cardinals um, making some sort of a trade, and that's part of the reason why with the cap room, obviously if they do extend uh, a player um, in the mold of, I would think that the first one that would be in line would be Jalen Thompson. He was, you know, as a fifth-round pick in the supplemental draft, he would get a pay boost immediately. You could probably make it maybe only a couple million and kick a lot of that, though, into future years, kind of timing that around with Buda Baker's contract where the, some of those cap years are a bit more flexible. Mm-hmm. Um, but to have about, you know, I think someone, we've pointed this out at least, as far as when it comes to cap space in the NFL, 
The Cardinals have actually been one of the highest teams now due to some of these restructures. It's part of why the Humphreys deal made sense. Uh, right now, as where it sits, the Browns, Raiders, Cowboys, Panthers, and Dolphins are the only teams that have more cap space than the Arizona Cardinals. Browns having the most at $48 million. Uh, a lot of that at least seems to be, uh, as far as from what some have wondered about, is how much of that figuring out what the Deshaun Watson situation for each of those, how much of that is all of the extensions that they'll be. They've made a bunch of them already. Um, but right now, you know, with the way things have been set up, if they want to be able to go and swing for the fences with a couple more of those wide receiver signings, like Will Fuller makes sense. But the Cardinals with $17 million, they like to save about 5 or $6 million, uh, for situations just like last year where they were able to um, go out and trade for a Zach Ertz and they had cap space to be able to bring him on, no problem whatsoever. Um, I think that the trade that they could look at, I could see them potentially going out and getting someone who's a, a pass rusher that they could sign potentially, either on the interior or outside. You know, some have mentioned that Nadama Kung Su is still available. There's other players, at least, who are free agents that you could look at on that side. And if it's a one-year, say, $8 million deal, suddenly you can go and get a Joe Hayden for six. That's $14 million. Suddenly you got about $3 million left. Maybe you kick out a little bit more cap room or with an extension or try to shift a bit more money around. You could still be able to have everything you've wanted for the Cardinals. But I'm wondering at least how much of what we're seeing right now is also not just necessarily Steve Kime making kind of this you know, blockbuster trade at least. Because as far as for when it comes to with cap room or cap space, I think that they're looking kind of for more of that time time sign or that ability to get something that they thought they had in Jeff Gladney, which was a steal. And uh, unfortunately, at least for them, like you said, sometimes you get yourself into a situation, you're forced to overpay a bit. Um, we saw that with the third round give up that they had for a guy who's going to get released from the Raiders and Rodney Hudson had to kind of reroute him from where he wanted to sign so that they could have someone to start at center. There's two names I think I've looked at that some Cardinals fans have brought up that have been intriguing as far as for that maybe could be realistic possibilities, but they might be expensive. Uh, one of them would be Greedy Williams, the cornerback uh, in Cleveland, because right now with the drafting they've had of Greg Newsom, who's hit, that's someone that you know we've even talked about, that he seems like he's off to a solid start to his career. Williams is a guy who hadn't been as healthy, hadn't been as disciplined, but has had experience for the most part. 24 years old and is under contract for next year. Uh, the other one that may be a situational to at least look into would be a Jalen Johnson with Chicago because you've seen Roquan once out. The Bears have just torn everything down for the most part. They did just draft a cornerback second round, but Johnson's a pretty good player. And so as a result, you'd almost have to have this type of kind of overpay a bit for the player considering mm -hmm. he's on that rookie deal. Um, I, he was taken with a second-round pick originally. I think the biggest thing I would say for the most part is as far as for how much I would be willing to get for a good corner, I think if you're talking about a 30-year-old-plus corner, I think you probably aim for a third-round pick if you want to be able to try to pull that off. Um, you'll have a fourth and fifth this year um, in the draft you didn't a year ago, uh, at least to my understanding. And you're probably, I'm going to say, not going to want to take that first-round pick and leave it out because – as of right now with the Cardinals, and I think you mentioned it, Steve Keim is in the midst of a place where he has to hit on picks because once you pay your quarterback, if you miss on picks, you take a look at the Seattle Seahawks in the division. They had one of the luckiest pull-ins of draft where they landed all these players on late and on the different rounds and spent tons and tons of capital on these first-round offensive linemen, first-round offensive linemen. They were able to sign some veteran pass rushers and Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill 
And what happened when Russell Wilson got his big deal? Well, they were able to find stars at the receiver position, but the offensive line got worse. The pass rush got worse. And we got to see overall some of these bizarre moves like trading away an all-pro center for Jimmy Graham or being able to (laughs) you know trade for Percy Harvin who had had concussion issues you saw a lot of kind of trying to keep it going and some of those draft picks at least just ultimately at the end of the day they just really kind of depleted the talent on the team and it really was capped off with trading those two first round picks for Jamal Adams and suddenly you had to go out then and pay Jamal Adams so you, you got nothing else left you can do. You have essentially had to train Russell Wilson just to be able to get all these cheap contracts back in and having to restart. I think that if we get to the point where if Steve Keim next year goes out and we see issues and struggles with the drafting that they have, we see Zayvon Collins has not been able to get brought along and they're not able to really find a veteran, you know, free agent or if they have to, you know, pay a ton of money to someone like they did with Jordan Hicks. If we see things continue to kind of not work out, we start to see that slide, or let's even take it a step further and say that they get into a position where they have to trade away DeAndre Hopkins, similar to Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill leaving those teams, and the offense suddenly takes a step back. You see them take a step back without J.J. Watt then you're going to have to start having a lot of serious and difficult questions about whether Steve Kimes should continue forward in his general management tenure because at some point, Damien, you have to hit on picks. You don't necessarily have to land stars. As we've seen, the Cardinals have been able to find ways of acquiring stars one way or the other. But if you're not going to be hitting on draft picks for the most part when you've got a quarterback that's been paid, suddenly you're going to be taking what's been something that's very, very strong and it turns into a question of, all right, which when's Kyler Murray going to have his trade request going to be in? And it very quickly sends your franchise back down to the depths. Absolutely. And it's, you know, like I said, at the end of the day, when I look at it and, and look at this roster, which will bring, you know, to one of the topics we had when you talked about um, Dimukeji and I looked at him and, you, you know, you think about Maje and Cam Thomas and Marcus Golden and Dennis Gardeck. Could they essentially cheat, treat the edge rush situation like a like the running back, like a running back by committee? Like we're going to pass rush by committee? Yes, they could. Right. And Demukeji, who I was a big fan of coming out of Duke because uh, he's a thick body, stout, strong framed pass rusher with heavy, strong hands, the ability to stack and shed blockers. Uh, you know, he finished with two sacks and a forced fumble, one sack. You know, he basically, uh, you know, he, he he sealed a hard edge. He read the quarterback. And you go, when you watch the tape back, you see him peek inside to see where Brandon Allen is. And then when he realizes Brandon Allen wants to e- evacuate the, the pocket and bail, he then sheds really quickly and makes a big tackle, makes a big sack. And then the second sack, you know, when he was able to, you know, force the fumble, you know, he, he just got back there quick, man. He, 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 he knew what he wanted to do. He rushed with a plan. He got back there. And, and if you can, and, it's, and that's the thing. It's like, okay, Vance, if you feel that you have a, if you have a crop of guys that can get you, that can, uh, you know, accumulate 40 sacks on the season collectively and, 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 you know, 50, 60 pressures collectively, I'm fine with that. You going out and spending the money to go grab a cornerback, right? So it's like, that's kind of where now, like I said, the end of the day is, and it also is just, Vance just has to choose what, what is he, what is his primary scheme? Is it going to be zone? Is it going to be off? Is it going to be press? Like, because you have to still at the same time, give your pass rush time. 
and playing off coverage. You go back to that game where they, you know, I think it was a week eight game. After being so at 7-0, you lose to the Packers. And the Packers, I think, had a multiple guys on the COVID list at the receiver position. And Vance came out playing soft coverage. And, you know, my, uh, Matt LaFleur comes from that kind of um, Shanahan McVay tree where it's the quick passing game. Yep. You're playing right into their hands. And Vance never pivoted off of that. Aaron Rodgers, they run the ball. Aaron Rodgers, play action, quick out. Play action, quick, you know, quick snap route, quick flat route. And it was yards after catch. So it's like play more man coverage, be more physical, be more aggressive. And then that's where Isaiah Simmons comes in. So for me, it's like I feel like go get – go rush, you know, rush with the guys you have unless – you're going to go out and get a guy like Robert uh, Quinn, you know, Rob Robert Quinn over from Chicago. I don't think there's a chance you can get Jalen Johnson unless you're giving yeah. up a King's ransom for him. Unless it's but a first round pick would be the easy yeah. one. Cause um, or unless he's like, I'm not going to play or do this. And there's been no indication of that. No, yeah, he's, ha- he's happy there. So and he they're, should happy be good. they're happy with him. Yeah, it's more of yeah, just yeah. like, you're looking at where would be the different places that could be possible. Otherwise you're looking at, you know, these older veteran guys who probably have one year left on their deal that, you know, maybe it's like, Hey, I don't want to, be here on this team versus a playoff team there's not very many situations like that and because like you said corner is i would argue outside of quarterback probably the most difficult position to play in the national football league not just from the uh physical standpoint because again you're having to be constantly reacting to whatever the defense is doing and even as you get older and start to move to a zone corner then the mental part of that game has to be there not just in knowing and being football prepared but imagine being that guy who then gets torched on one play and then you're having to go back onto the line against the same guy who just did that for the most part. It is very mentally taxing. It's why I give a lot of credit to the guys who play the position. Um, It's also a sign usually of it's easier to be a big guy who can use their size versus – you know, corners have to be so athletic and quick of their hips flexing. Uh, there's times where you can watch a guy and you can say, oh, he's a future safety. It's like, how do you know? And it takes him like, you know, it seems like it takes him 10 seconds to get his hips from this <laughs> left-hand side of his body to his right-hand side of his body. You're like, oh, those hips, they're not they're not flexing. Like, you, he's a big no. guy you can hit. But that's part of the whole scouting process. And with Arizona, um, uh, the lack of investment into the position, I think, ultimately what stinks about this the most, I guess, is – you probably felt good about if you had a cornerback room of Byron Murphy, two years of um, Jeff Gladney under contract, of having Marco, and then you could just bring back Robert Alford. You're probably feeling at least pretty comfortable. Instead, between what we've seen with Marco and with Gladney's unfortunate passing, the Cardinals, I think, have been needing to kind of have to be, I guess, more aggressive. And it seems like the, this move is going to happen near the end of preseason. We'll see how it affects as far as the first week. If they're going to go cheaper at the position, then that may be something I think that they're going to regret. Uh, coming up no. here on the next-hand part of the Revenge of the Birds podcast, let's talk a little about some of the other players who are there and what we see upcoming with um, some of the guys who performed and did well, as well as take a look ahead at the game against the Baltimore Ravens. Sounds like it's going to be a lot more of the same. What can we expect? That'll be next on the Revenge of the Birds podcast. And we're back on the ROTB pod for the second half of our preseason week two coverage. Uh, Let's take some time now that we've gone over just some of the needs and what we've seen about with Arizona on the pass rushing corner situation. Let's talk about one of the areas that they've shown a lot of depth in this year. And I think that's the offensive line and especially 
at the receiver position. Now, today's news, we're recording this on a Monday. Uh, Kyler Murray back at practice. Hollywood Brown back in practicing fully. It's the first time we've seen the two of them together. Um, it's something that I don't think that we're going to see either of those play throughout the entire preseason. Uh, that's just not how Cliff Kingsbury seems to have done his business. Uh, we haven't seen it really affect the Cardinals as much either. I think Kyler got four snaps in the preseason a year ago. Uh, went one of four and then went out and had, I believe, five touchdowns against the uh, Tennessee Titans in week one. It's something that once you kind of had a couple years in the NFL and know the offense, know the scheme, you have talent surrounding you, it's not as big of a deal. Where it is a big deal is for these guys on the back half of the roster to know who's going to be the guy making the roster. Uh, and it can lead to some tough decisions. Uh, one of the tougher decisions I think this year is going to be at the receiver spot. Greg Dortch is a guy who has lit up camp. He got a nice carry against the Cowboys a year ago. He's essentially been the guy that everyone's talked up the most. And it was, again, like I told people, don't think of it like you're tuning in for Trace McSorley. Like, this is going to be the Greg Dortch show. And you were right when you said that he showed out with a 55-yard punt return. It's very possible that that locked up that spot for him. It allows Rondale Moore to shift into more of an offensive role um, overall on the team where he won't have to be returning punts as much. And you got to see Andy Isabella actually go out and finally get some catches. Um, I think the biggest takeaway I had was seeing Isabella's hands and how it's not that they've truly improved since he was a rookie. He was drafted in 2019 uh, on that one play where there was the pass interference penalty. A guy came in and interfered with him, so normally you don't count that. But the fact that he was interfered with, he still had a chance to catch the ball. And while it disrupted his timing a bit of it, it seemed like the ball still kind of hit him in a, you know, I guess my grandfather used to say, hit him in a bad place right between the numbers. <laughs> that was like the joke he would always make about players who would make drops. It just feels like that Dorch, who's declared and drafted the same year as Isabella, he seems to have progressed to a spot where he's maybe not a complete wide receiver, but if you had to say that we need to get a slot who's there, Rondell Moore's got a concussion for a game, you need someone to plug in, he's shown, I think, the hands, the ability to separate, like, it's shown that you're probably having a guy who's on the roster, not just for the special teams play, with Antoine Wesley being a 6'5", kind of 50-50 guy, is this something where Andy Isabella showing up in some of this camp? Is he kind of being put on display for another team? Or is the DeAndre Hopkins suspension going to be something that maybe this performance is going to have him be on the roster or at least competing for one of those final spots? Um, I think for him to, to, to really compete and, and lock in the final spot while D-Hop's out for the first six weeks is he's going to have to build upon this performance, um, continue to show that he can catch the ball. My main thing with him, like if it comes down between Greg Dorch and Andy Isabella, you know, I don't even think it's close that you go Dorch because of the fact that Dorch knows how to get open. Um, he's a tough kid. Being 5'7", he's extremely tough, and he has, you know, really good hands. Catching the ball outside of his, you know, away from his body, outside of his frame, for him, and that's called playing big from a eva talent evaluator and scouts perspective. That's a scouting term we use for smaller players or for anybody, that, you know, more so smaller players that play bigger than their sizes. That's what he did, you know, essentially in this game. Isabella's also going to need Antoine Wesley to not be ready to go, you know, to start the season, right? Because if, if Antoine Wesley is good to go, so then you walk into, you look at the receiving room while D hops out, you have. Hollywood Brown healthy, Rondell Moore healthy, AJ AJ Green healthy, excuse me, um, Greg Dorch and Antoine Wesley. Do you carry six receivers? Mm. 
possibly you could you could possibly make that case and you know Andy Isabella would be uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't be against him being that sixth receiver uh that will give you depth just in case someone got hurt you know in those first six weeks you know god forbid that happened but um and then once you know once D Hop returns then you can cut bait with him because I'm going to be honest, I don't believe he has much value in terms of a trade market. They've been rumored trying to trade him for the past like two off seasons and no one's even pushed the button. Like, no, no one's, no one's really kicked the tires on that in a serious way to say, Hey, here's some serious comp- compensation. He doesn't have much value. Right. And then at the beginning, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I'd rather go get Cole Beasley hmm. off of free agency. I'd rather let go of Andy Isabella and bring in Cole Beasley and have him because he's much more reliable. And talking about a guy that knows how to get open is a very uh, QB friendly weapon in the middle of the field, in the short to in the short to intermediate regions of the field, in the quick passing game, out of the slot. Yeah, Cole and don't get me wrong, he's got his his ego and his his thought process on vaccination last offseason and all that stuff. But you know, right now the NFL has a different viewpoint on COVID. Uh, than they did the past two off, past two seasons for good reasons, of course, because COVID is not as prevalent or as, um, you know, I would say deadly, I guess, as it as it was when they first appeared a couple years ago. Yeah, we've we've come a long way as far as that has been, as far as with you know, um, not just with COVID, but also as you said, I think the Cardinals have also on their end come a long way because when you look at how it's been built around with Greg Dorch, you look at how Rondale Moore seems to be primed, Hollywood Brown can go into the slot. You really don't feel like the Cardinals, I don't think they need to go out and get a Cole Beasley. Like if they had an injury to one of these players that had happened, then maybe you're talking about that of going out and getting a veteran. But I think that you're right. If a team is going to be lining up and looking at which player they'd rather have, I think you're looking at Andy just for special teams. And he just has not developed into what they had thought of a player. I think that he was a guy that a lot of people said he produced at a high level. There's some projection with his hands. And at the end of the day, he had second round speed and second round production, but probably fifth round as far as how you needed to develop him. And we've seen if you can get a guy like a Greg George who's just there or you want to try to move to a higher upside guy, there's always going to be a veteran like a Cole Beasley floating around. There's always going to be a guy at least who um, you're able to kind of pull off of the, the market who can come in and catch, you know, 60, 70 balls, not necessarily be 100 well, slot receiver. Uh, it's really just something that the Cardinals, I think, are able to move past this now. And I think in a lot of ways it'd be better for Andy Isabella to move past it. But like you said, it's hard to know. Like, I don't think teams are going to give up anything for value for him. They've been putting him at the gunner spot. And it's unfortunate because it is just one of those cases where I always felt like he was on a three- to four-year track record. If we had seen what we're seeing from him in camp in year one, I think it's a very different story. Instead, what we're seeing now is, oh, Andy's making some plays in camp, but you don't even notice it because Greg Dorch goes off and has a better play, mm-hmm. doing almost the exact same thing uh, just after that. Uh, we also can talk with, I know the Cardinals, they've got some of their tight ends back at practice. Uh, I know that Zach Ertz is still kind of sitting out. I'd expect that to be just to keep him healthy. Uh, but you at least are going to be able to see that you've got your Colorado State second-round pick, uh, Trey McBride's back practicing today. Uh, he's going to be having an important role uh, I think that on the offensive side, to kind of wrap up most of that, we can talk about the running backs because the Cardinals have running backs for days. And it's going to lead to a difficult decision at the end of the day. Should they, like you said, keep six wide receivers? Um, if Max Williams isn't healthy enough or they do have to keep a Steven Anderson just to have three tight ends 
um, or even four tight ends potentially on the roster um, given special teams play you're going to be looking at five guys who I think are all probably worthy of a spot on the 53. And so the question a lot of people have wondered is, who's the odd man out? We've gotten touchdowns and trust from Jonathan Ward. We've seen quite a bit, at least, from Keontae Ingram in this game. Daryl Williams, of course, is Daryl Williams. And um, we saw Eno Benjamin kind of get the running back two slash, all right, you tried him on a kick return, you put him in one. I was at least impressed. He didn't have necessarily a huge like breakaway play or one of those types of I guess like star plays you could see but there's one for me that sold where he gets the handoff you know the guy doesn't really contain as well I think at least overall on the um, right hand tackle side that'd be Josh Miles side he ends up essentially kind of making a good cut and then used his spin move kind of used his body he's had this incredible balance and this incredible ability to get these tough yards ever since he was at arizona state uh, that's my alma mater so i watched him play there you're always like hey look it's like you know hitting the spin button on madden you just know that he's going to be able to pick up a few extra yards he's able to pick up those tough first downs and carries that showed that he's not just i think a change of pace pass catching back or a back that's just going to be you know trying to get those wide open looks it's really going to be the question of if you had to pick between Williams, Ward, and Ingram, who would be the odd man out there for you? Essentially, uh, I would say probably Ingram as the rookie. I, I would, you know, I would lean to trying to get him on the practice squad, right, um, and, and stash him for like a year because you know Williams, I think he signed like a one-year deal and things of that nature. Like you can bring him on the the, the main roster, um, the fifty-three roster next season. But it, yeah, it's gonna be. It's almost impossible to say, to say. Oh yeah, you cannot keep five running backs. It's just it's too much for one for that specific position. Um, but I I think Keontae Ingram will probably be the odd man out here right now, um, and that's why like you know especially when you you know you, you read the reports of you know from practice. The team is looking at a lot of ten personnel, right? A lot of four wide receiver sets, which yeah. then you know, makes having makes the question of, all right, so you keep five running backs or you keep six receivers, you know, it's like you keep, you try, if you anything, you try to keep six receivers. I would like, I would have loved to keep, um, Keontae Andrews. I think his upside, I think he has some good upside for this, for this run scheme and he fits. I just feel like they're, they're going to want to trust the veterans, um, especially in pass protection in the passing game, you know Williams can 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 go out and catch passes. Of course, you know Benjamin can, and, and and you already know what you have. You know Jonathan Ward. You know being able to catch the screen and then his physical run style. And um, I, I had a I was watching you know some of the tape today, and I had a, a comp that he was kind of a player he reminded me of. But I can't think right now. I've, I've uh, kind of uh, had a brain fart on that name, but you know just I liked what I saw from him and his physical run style. And then, of course, you know James Conner, right? You know he's he's going to be the lead guy. But then if he if he was to go down, I think Jonathan Ward be the 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 between when it comes up between the tackles, he's the first guy that comes to mind. That, hey, I'm going to give him those carries because physically he can handle that type of workload and allow you know Benjamin to just kind of be that 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 space player, that chess piece when he comes in. So uh, I think Keontae Ingram will be the the odd man out at the at the running back spot. They keep four. Um, you know, especially when you have, like I said, you have needs that to try and figure out what you're going to do with the edge position. Then, of course, the elephant in the room that we continue to talk about, the cornerbacks. Yeah. Now, now I've kind of maybe cheated. This is probably cheating, but what I've kind of looked at is I think I would probably keep all five guys, at least to start the season. 
because I think that I'm looking at the team and saying with DeAndre Hopkins not going to be there, depending on the health status of, you know, a guy like, um, oh gosh, it's uh, escaping me at least for all this, um, out of Texas Tech at least, you're talking about the other one, Antoine Wesley, um, or Tweezy as they call him. Uh, Cliff said today he's about one to two weeks out or so. Cliff is always very private when it comes to you know, injuries and stuff. We you know with Kyler kind of did the minimum practice each week last year, probably had more of a six-week injury. They're projecting is more of a two-week injury. We find that later. I Depending on his status, if that's how Andy Isabella gets on the roster, I think I would only keep five wide receivers for now, knowing that I think you're going to be a more run-heavy team with Hopkins out to begin. Maybe that means that you've got more you know, 22 back sets or you're maybe rotating backs to keep James Conner healthier for the most part, tossing it to some of those running backs. I think out of camp we've heard that Darrell Williams has been kind of solid but unspectacular. He does have that 225 weight type. Um, obviously, he's a little bit slower of a player, but he did show the ability to be that pass-catching back. Um, he's not as quick and doesn't have nearly the same explosiveness as Ingram, so I'm kind of in the mode of... I don't know if you're going to be able to get Ingram onto the practice squad. I think the best case scenario, if you can only keep four guys, um, and I think that Jonathan Ward, with his size and the trust that he has from the special teams coach, like, you know, they threw it to him on fourth down last year, so it shows they trust his hands, they've trusted him to get some of those red zone looks. I just think that that's kind of the limitation that I would see is I don't know if he's got enough burst or enough juice to take on a heavy workload. And I do think that Keontae Ingram could. Now, I don't know if Ingram's time is going to be this year. I think that it's yeah. next year. Is like what I said. I said, I'm like, he's splashing in camp, but it's not splashing to the point where I'm like, get this guy carries in 2022. It's more of, I can't wait to see what this guy looks like in 2023 is kind of the feeling I've had. Um, I know the Cardinals in the past, you know, with, with Hakeem Butler, he was d- given an IR designation out of camp. Um, they stashed him, I guess, in that way for a year on injured reserve. Maybe that's something that you would have. Um, because this contract is fully guaranteed and because of the experience, I, I guess I would be not completely unsurprised if they were to cut Darrell Williams to keep him. But it would be, a, I think, at least a bit of a surprise given that you know, you're having to eat that money essentially to keep a sixth-round rookie onto the roster. I think more likely what could happen is that you keep that the players on board and then once you get to kind of, you know, week six and D-Hop is going to come back, I think by that time you'll be able to make a decision at least as far as where you're at with the running back room. Could IR a player for a while? But it does seem like that Ingram, at least to this point, he's probably shown, I think, a lot more long-term potential for the Cardinals than I think a one-year signing like Darrell Williams had. So maybe it's cheating, but I could definitely see them keeping five guys for the most part, and that would be kind of the answer to the question. It might be that it cost you an Andy Isabella, but if you're going to say, would you rather have a guy who's shown the ability to maybe not be a three-down starter, but let's say that he's, you know, a running back similar to what James Conner was a year ago, a guy who comes and spells your starter, is able to carry the load, and suddenly you have something. I think that's some of the upside that he could have potentially as an RB2 long-term, and if that's the case, I think that you would probably keep that around versus you know, wide receiver who you've been trying to trade for the past two years, I guess, is where it is. No, I, I, I agree. Uh, I, I agree with you. I, I think the only thing that the, the only thing that gives me, I say, angst about that is Cliff Kingsbury hasn't shown that he's willing to run the ball as much, right? Like, to, to like, it's different if this was a Kyle Shanahan-led team. You know, he probably is going to go probably four or five running backs deep because he runs the ball so much. And you're going to see different variations of it with Trey Lance at quarterback. So I think with Cliff, he's 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 air raid, you know, through and through, man. And it's like, 
will we see enough running plays outside of when James Conner's on the field? I question it. So it's like, well, he wants to run his 10 personnel. He wants to go three, four wide receivers. Now the tight ends are going to be really impactful too. Um, you know, they are, if all three are healthy and ready to go uh, with Max and Trey and Zach, uh, where they can kind of become a pseudo big slot receiver in, in that in that setup too. But uh, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see, man. I think Ingram, you know, really can can he overtake Williams? I think these next two preseason games will be big for him if he does. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna disagree with you just a little bit as far as with Cliff. I think what I do agree with you is when you're looking at the Shanahan offense, which basically features a fullback, and you look at how the Rams have essentially had a huge, you know, play action from under center that they run, which is essentially kind of this, you know, you, you look at it as uh, it's a power like, or I guess you could say it's the um, inside zone or the outside zone type of a running team. Um, as far as for volume, Kingsbury's actually, I think, surprised a lot of people with how much he has run the ball. Uh, last year, the Cardinals were actually 12th as far as um, run-pass percentage, uh, which I think a lot of people would be surprised when you think about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Tom Brady or those offenses to know that, like, they threw the ball, like, 65% of the time last year. Like, they didn't run it very much. The Steelers were the same way. Uh, Chargers, obviously, because they were having to throw the ball all the time because they were down in the fourth quarter because that's that's Chargers football. Like We all saw Justin Herbert having complete fourth down after fourth down because they just were throwing the ball randomly. But Arizona, Cliff has at least done a nice job. Like Every year he's been in the league, it's been kind of a 55% pass rate to 45 46% run rate. And I think it's just been the effectiveness of those runs we've seen um, when he's spread teams out and been able to run up the middle. We've seen that be impressive. And it's over the back half of the season where the Cardinals are like maybe not picking up as many of those rushing downs as they were originally. Maybe some of that's Murray running less. Uh, maybe teams are keying into that. But I don't think it's as much of an issue of, you know, having that. I do think that I agree with you in if we do not see them essentially have maybe some of these um, – 22 personnel and then maybe you shift Eno Benjamin into the slot for some of those places or maybe if we look at Rondale Moore and say he's kind of being used as a running back like he was last year a year ago he was still a receiver maybe there's some changes that take place but where I do think we're on the same page is there's no reason to keep five running backs pretty much in any NFL team even if it's going to be the best case scenario for some of those, you're then going to be essentially trying to find the best way to stash or having to do that to hide a player. And it's in the factor of I, I think we're also in that agreement because I think there's a good chance that they a lot of people we've talked up how Trace McSorley has looked and think that maybe he would be in a spot to go back to Baltimore. I'm, I'm not sure that they're not just going to be content to roll with Tyler Huntley. Maybe that ends up being kind of this possibility where you're able to you know, keep that or keep uh, some guy like Ingram around. But I think that's at the end of the day. Uh, a lot of people are looking at the team. We've seen the Cardinals kind of keep their best players on the roster for the most part. And that's something that I think that we'll see continue. It will be interesting if that will include um, having to pass on a guy that they'll like a lot. Like they'll like Daryl Williams enough to give him a fully guaranteed contract, even if it was the vet minimum. Ingram was the first player that they drafted essentially after no picks in the rounds four and five all the way near the middle of round six. And they loved Jonathan Ward as a core special teams player for them. So either way, it is going to be a tough decision. Yep, 100%. All right, let's go and talk about the last aspect, which is the pass rush at least. And then uh, a little bit of a surprise also as we kind of wrap up and then focus on the Ravens game. 
Uh, two extra points were missed by Matt Prater, the normally reliable kicker for the Arizona Cardinals. Last year, he missed a few field goals in some clutch situation as well, but he was missing his um, uh, snap, I should say I should say the kick holder. Andy Lee had been out with COVID. They had a backup punter. They tried to practice it with Colt McCoy. Clearly hadn't practiced it enough. There was issues that they had with the kicking game. It's a little surprised to see that there wasn't just one missed extra point in the preseason. Sometimes you just chalk that up. But to have a second one, and then there was a kickoff earlier that bounced into the end zone. It almost towed the line of going out of bounds and not making it there, which would have drawn a flag. Is that something to be concerned about for the special teams plays? Because I think with the the local Cardinals coverage of uh, Dave Burns and John Gambadoro, at least talked about Burns, had a great point where he said, uh, hey, he's a 38-year-old kicker. It's not a concern until you get to the regular season, and then it's a concern. <laughs> That's kind of right. the best way to put it. Well, 100%. That's the best way to put it. It's not a concern until it becomes a trend. You know, like that's when it becomes a concern where you're missing, you score four touchdowns you know, in the half and you miss each extra point. It's like, okay, that's four points we just missed, especially if the defense is not able to hold the other opponent to field goal. So, um, you know, I, I don't think it's a big deal right now um, until it becomes one. Yeah, definitely. And we'll see how that goes. I know the Cardinals have been um, a much better special teams unit under Jeff Rogers than they were under Bruce Arians, ironically enough. Um, a lot of Cardinals fans for a long time looked at Amos Jones as a coach. We even saw the Cardinals in one year have a top 10 offense, which unfortunately was basically just Larry Fitzgerald being himself and David Johnson having like one of the best fantasy football seasons ever. Uh, a top 10 defense that had, you know, the one year you had Marcus Golden, Calais Campbell. I think Alex Okafor may have been on that team as well, unless I'm mistaken, for a year. Um, Chandler Jones is on that team, at least. Um, and, you had, of course, Calais Campbell, at least, that you basically were the tops in sacks. And you have the, I believe it was 31st or 32nd ranked special teams. The Cardinals are a long stretch away from where that has been, but it's still something to monitor, obviously, heading into the season. Uh, for now, I'll just chalk it up to just maybe not as focused, knowing that there's going to be a place. I don't think you'll get concerned unless they start to bring in another kicker into camp. Um, Arizona usually in Cliff, how he's worked is he trusts his guys. Uh, speaking of trusting guys, we've got a lot of guys that are going to be trusted to take up with the pass rush this year. Um, we've got we talked about Victor Dumakeji. Obviously, Dennis Gardak is going to be playing. They brought back Devon Kennard. Marcus Golden is still out as far as he's had some sort of a health issue. Part of me has wondered, we've reached a point now with Marcus Golden, where um, I'm wondering if he's got the same stomach bug that DJ Humphreys had uh, when you're talking about looking for a new deal or a new contract. Humphreys had a stomach bug for the first week. Golden was signed to a two-year, $5 million deal, and the man led the team in sacks last year with 11. Um... You've also, I think, had seen a good enough play from my Jay Sanders to be, or my Jai, I guess is how you pronounce it, to be able to say that he's going to get a decent look this year as a rotational guy. Um, Cameron Thomas did get some play. He's going to be, I think, that Zach Allen five tech role next year. I think that they kind of looked at him in a similar way the Cardinals looked at Christian Kirk, where they were like, well, he's good, but when it comes time to pay him, you either pay him this large contract or move on to a new rookie who we think that can be better. I think that that's the Cam Thomas type of role he'll take next year is kind of that Zach Allen replacement. Um, how did we feel about the pass rushers? They got after it. And the question, I think, is, is Dumukeji able to kind of break into the lineup, one that especially has you know a veteran in Kennard, another veteran in Golden, and a guy who had seven sacks uh, before he tore his ACL. And 
I guess I, I would describe him as having that dad strength. Like, Gardick's not the biggest guy, he's not the strongest guy, but you still see him pushing Lyman back with a bull rush. Um, what are your thoughts, at least in the pass rush, before we at least just do a quick preview of the Ravens game as we wrap up today? Um, I think, the, like I said earlier, the pass rush is going to, it looks like it's going to be a by committee situation. You're going to probably see Victor D. Mukherjee earn his his reps, you know, after, you know, how he's, he played a little bit last year. Like I said, he finished the game with, um, you know, four hurries, two sacks, uh, 26, uh, almost 27% pressure rate in that game on uh, 20, 27% of his rushes. He was able to get pressure on, um, you know, I think he's going to find a way on the field. Maje Sanders, of course, being that that long, first step quickness, bendy pass rusher. Um, Dennis Gardeck, man, I, I, I want to see him continue to get his snaps. Now that he's a year removed from the injury um, and from the surgery, I think he'll be back to what we saw when he had the seven sacks back in, I think it was 2020 or whatnot. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and of course, the, the Cam, the Cam, Thomas thing is going to be interesting just because of the fact that this is a guy who played more even front four three end in college, mm-hmm. um, and he's going to be looked at as a stand up outside linebacker essentially. Or I mean, they could go you know when they when they go to pass or situations, leave him with his hand in the dirt as a uh, six tech or even some some seven tech you know and give him that wide angle and let him essentially you know work like an Aiden Hutchinson as a wide angle rusher from that defensive end spot, right? And, and allow him to be get back to his, his level of comfort in terms of m- muscle memory and muscle movement uh, and where he wants to sit, where he's used to being. So I think the pass rush is going to just be a committee right now until we see if, like said, uh, unless Maje Sanders or someone steps up as the lead dog and is the guy that, that is able to get, you know, multiple, you know, pressures and a sack every game or so. And really pull away from the pack as that that number one guy. Um, I don't think the I don't think this defense has one. I think they're going yeah. to have to rely on everyone collectively. Yeah, and then in that year uh, where they did at least when they lost Chandler Jones, we saw the Cardinals still be able to perform ultimately with sacks. You got Hassan Reddick stepped up. Obviously, they did make a I believe that trade for the most part with. Marcus Golden, um, but like you said, having kind of that lead guy who's able to go out and be able to perform is something that we're hoping can step up. Um, I think that's definitely going to be a huge key to their season because if you see the pass rush struggles and the cornerback depth isn't there, then you're going to be talking about the offense having to put up you know 30 points a game. That's I think could be a recipe for disaster. Uh, let's go and finish up talking about what we want to see against the Ravens. Now, clearly, this is also a lot of Cardinals fans are excited. We got new black helmets are on full display today at Cardinals training camp. They're the ones that are like kind of not the matte black, but kind of a bit of a shiny black with some red flecks in them. So far, players wearing them, they've gotten rave reviews from the moment they were unveiled. They look good now, although it's a little weird to see the black helmet with kind of those red, white away uniforms. Um, I think seeing that with the black jerseys is going to definitely be something that will maybe have a bit more of a pop. Um, we'll see what goes on if that means new uniforms. I know that seems to be like the number one thing. You log into Twitter, Arizona Cardinals make a tweet. Some fan asks the Twitter account when new uniforms are coming out. So it's just been something. Michael, uh, I heard that he was a bit surprised that there was such a clamoring for it back in 2021 when it kind of seemed to blow up for the most part. And he's a guy who's been loyal to a fault. Um, and, you know, we've seen that before with some of his decisions and how he's done stuff, being loyal with Steve Kyman, being loyal even to some of these jerseys. Um, are you excited to see these helmets? Like, it's weird to talk about, you know, 
aesthetics as far as when it comes to football when I think it's more you care about the games but to fans at least who see other teams get their jerseys and to college players who that's you know Oregon say what you will at least about if they're going to be in the Big Ten or the Pac-12 or whatever it looks like they at least have been one of the best jersey I guess you could say or uh, the swag factors you call it uh, look great play great as they say I think for players no I, I actually love the black helmet like I, I want them to make that the number one the, the home jersey or whatever like I want the black the, the black helmet the black jersey like you know, you can go white pants. I don't care, but let me get that black, black helmet, black top, because uh, it, it, it just it looks so cool. And especially you know, what a lot of people don't like. A lot of people don't know, man. Like it, it, football is such a mental game too. So it's like you come out hmm. looking. You like players say it all the time, you look good, you feel good, you play good. Like right. you know, it helps. So like yeah, I say make this permanent. I, I love it. Um, like I said, you could use some of the other stuff as well, but I, I love the black. Yeah, the other team in the Phoenix area that had new jerseys for a year with the Suns going to those the Valley jerseys that they wore for the last two years. They made a finals and a playoffs with them, and uh, they're moving on from those jerseys now. But I, I think there's going to be a, a, an era or a time period where you'll fondly remember that for the most part. Uh, let's talk at least about this is obviously really short because it's going to be almost identical, I think, to week one against the Bengals. What are you looking for as far as with the Ravens game? Uh, it's going to be at home. It's going to be a nationally televised preseason game. Uh, the first nationally televised game the Cardinals will get this year. What is it that you're wanting to see in this game? Is it continuation of what we saw just against the Bengals? Or is there anything different that you are hoping that will stand out? Oh, uh, man, what I want to see is I want to see... We just talked about the pass rush to, to start off. I want to see that continue. I want to see more of Victor Dimukeji, um, you know, being disruptive and, and, and winning and winning at a high level and a high rate continuously as he did in, in, in week one of the preseason. I want to see more Maje Sanders. I want to see Cam Thomas get more into the action and, and just show that, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm capable, which we kind of knew watching this tape, but can you do it from the role that they're going to put you in, right? You know, or, or will they have to force you into being that Zach Allen replacement at the five tech? Like, you know, and you have to add a little bit of weight to do so because physically he's not going to be capable of doing it at this specific body type. So um, to bang inside with the guards and, and centers and tackles um, with a re reduced alignment. But I do want to see the pass rush and just see where all these guys line up, how they're, how, you know, can they be – Productive and really showcase their abilities, and I want to see a rebound from the uh, from the secondary, right? I want to see more man coverage. I want to see Marco Wilson uh, again. He's long. He's he, he's athletic. He's fast. He's played in the SEC. He's seen a gauntlet of really talented receivers when he was in college. Get him back to that man. Get him back comfortable. Get him back into his into his zone, into his game, and let him play man to man and be physical. Be be. Be disruptive in the contact window with receivers and reroute and disrupt timing um, and just let him get back to being who Marco Wilson uh, was coming out of college. And, and then, uh, of course, I want to see uh, Greg Dorch continue to do what he was able to, to, to build upon because the main thing is consistency stack on a game on top of a game on top of a game. So let's see if he can come out and even outdo himself. It's more so in the receiving game. You don't expect him to get another 50-plus yard punt return. Yeah. But if he can, <laughs> hey, that's great. 
but if you can get more, you know, get up in the 60s, 70s uh, in terms of receiving yards and add a touchdown to it and just show and, and really stamp your name of, hey, Cliff Kime, uh, I'm your guy when you want to look at the last receiver to keep on this roster. Uh, and then the last thing I would say, I want to see Trey McBride, uh, if he's good to go, hmm. I want to see Trey McBride uh, really get involved in the passing game. I don't, you know, and, you know, of course, run blocking, but I want to see him be that weapon. How they use him, what route concepts and route, uh, you know, designs they give him, um, and they assign to him. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, uh, Trey McBride had one touchdown, I believe, in his final season that he had. He was not used as a red zone threat whatsoever. Would love to see some of those skills, and because uh, a lot of when I watched the tape, it wasn't that it was that he didn't have like those skills or like he's dropping balls or just didn't. It was more just he was their offense, so they would go between the twenties, would seemingly like rely on him, and then they they'd get into the red zone, and he would be that guy blocking and opening up pass for their quarterback to run in. Um, since that was their offensive approach. I'd love to be able to see that, so I'll steal that point for you. I kind of had three things that I wanted to look at. Uh, the first was health, health, health. Like, that's the only reason why I've said that I haven't wanted um, the phrase they're already using, at least instead of torched, like you torch the cornerback, it's dorched. That's what the Cardinals are starting <laughs> to use. Um, I know I had, it was kind of like, we saw a bunch of people tweet that out about the same time. That's been the thing in practice. So in almost a way of, I almost kind of don't want to see him as much in the preseason because you're always worried about a guy who seems to get it and it's all figured out and then see an injury set back. Um, there's probably going to be some important reps for him as a punt returner to be able to get, but I'd love to see him be that guy who's kind of given, you know, the first drive type of reps pulled off and then only has to worry about punt returns. Um, I'd love to see um, someone go out and claim cornerback two or cornerback three, like whether it's Josh jo Jackson, Antonio Hamilton, or Marco Wilson. Go out there and just be able to claim that spot, make it where the Cardinals, you know, are going to have confidence. And last, I think the biggest one is I want to see a little bit of pride as far as being able to break the streak. Ravens have been essentially undefeated in the preseason thus far. Uh, part of that is they've showed off great depth, and they've also pushed for it as part of, like, their team identity if we still go out there to win the game. Uh, Cardinals had that same type of mentality against the Bengals week one. We saw them be aggressive all the way up into the fourth quarter. Would love to see it be an actual, like, tension type of game where it's like, hey, it's the fourth quarter and we've got Jared Wontorano and you've got the other quarterback, like, slinging back and forth as these guys are playing with pride on the line. That would be one of the things that would be fun is if the Cardinals could be that team to be able to ultimately break the streak. Um, that's one of these things we'll see, and we'll find out if the Ravens, if Lamar Jackson's going to get that big contract before the season starts. Maybe it comes up before this game, or if it's going to be heading into that last year of his rookie deal, and it's going to be a whole entire, uh, you know, you want to talk about breaking the bank as far as contracts. Uh, if he ends up hitting free agency and the Ravens at least decide, you know, we're going to try to work out a contract or if they have to franchise tag him or however that works out, that's going to be just a sight to behold, I think, at least for the most part. So hoping he does get his, uh, hoping he does end up working it out with him because he's just, he's so fun to watch at least for each and every week. Any last thoughts at least before we log out for today? Oh, man. Um, uh, Michael Dogby. I want to mm. throw it out there to him. I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of his of his game and his physical tools, so I want to see more of him too. <laughs> Good call. Absolutely. Yeah, no, he got that dog beat in him, I think is something I know we talk about with Twitter jokes, like, oh, he got that dog in him. Oh, yeah. It's, mm -hmm. it's just been something. He's always been that kind of guy for the most part. I know I had a lot of Cleveland Browns fans, at least, who are messaging me about him. Like, he's a, he's a guy who's going to stick, and he's turned himself into a nice career with Arizona. Uh, love to see him get some more reps on the defensive line this year. Um, since they're missing, you know, their uh, Corey Peters first year 
probably it looks like without him going to be on the roster at least at the defensive line Dogby is a guy who I think will be able to step up and see some snaps and We'll see how it goes as far as with the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, we'll be back at it next week. Uh, again, you can follow the podcast at ROTV Pod. Follow our Twitter account there. Follow us on revengeofthebirds.com. And then also something that's been started this last year, but something new for this year. Uh, we've got our YouTube channel, uh, ROTB Pod. We'll be uploading all of the audio content from this to the YouTube channel. A uh, big reason why, at least, was I've got a sister who does um, sign language interpretation. There's sometimes with hearing or other access can be difficult with podcasts. Uh, being able to get the episodes uploaded and having kind of those auto captions generated is another way to be able to um, have content there. Um, so I appreciate you guys, at least, who are tuning in and listening each and every week already. Uh, you can be able to uh, follow Damien at least, and you can go ahead and plug yourself, sir, for whatever else you've got coming up as well as your account. Of course. Follow me on Twitter at DP underscore NFL. Uh, follow, of course, uh, TDN, the Draft Network, as well on Twitter. Um, if you have uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, find our College Football Podcast because College Football is on the way in just a few short weeks. Uh, the Talent Factor with me and my uh, guy, uh, 2019 LSU champion, Keith Sanchez. So uh, uh, definitely uh, tune in and check us out. Awesome. Thank you guys for tuning in. This has been the ROTV Pod. Yes, sir. Thank you.